Good morning, men. How you doing? Good. Great worship. Can we give another hand to this band and the sound guys in the back? This has been some, some great, great time. Hopefully y'all feel as refreshed as I do. Um, the, these times of worship, I think, have been really sweet. They always feel like they're, they're ending a little bit too soon. Um, I, I'm going to do my best. I know we're scheduled to be done at 1130. That's 10 minutes. I'll go ahead and let you know. I'm not going to hit that mark. Um, I'll, I'll do my best to get you home by the start of the XFL game that I'm sure we're all very excited about on the edge of our seats at two o'clock, okay? That's the goal. No, I, I should be done here pretty soon, but, but I'm excited in this last session to actually, I think, really give you something to sink your teeth into moving forward. You know, I've done a lot of these, these retreats throughout my life, and I would say throughout even my, my adolescence up till a few years back, I'd say a lot of the, the significant moments of my life, my spiritual development have come in settings like this and where God meets me, the Holy Spirit meets me in a profound way. I'm freed from something. I have a revelation. I have an insight or whatever. And, and then I leave and, and a little bit left with, okay, what do I do now? And so my goal in this last session is to kind of give you something to do. What, what do I do now? I've got a good friend who, who's a, a, an executive, very successful in the business world. He's kind of newer to Jesus, and he's, he's the kind of guy that's like, he's, he's always grinding. He's always grinding. And so one of the things he, he often asks after kind of a good church service is like, okay, now what do I do? Like, like what, what's my next step? How do, where, what do I do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? Like, how do I continue to move in this direction? So hopefully um, what you gain here this morning will help you with that. I just want to recap real quick that, that, that as we've walked through this, this journey with Jesus, we, we talked about the, the stage of our life, and hopefully you're starting to get some insight on where you are and kind of life mapping and where you are in that, that current place in your journey, both um, as, a, as a development of a person and as a development as a son of God, as a follower of Jesus. We talked about the state of your heart, and hopefully you're getting a little bit more in touch with what's going on in there and learning how to express that and talk about it and recognize what's happening there and then find some steps, whether it's active spirituality, really leaning into Jesus, passive spirituality, really kind of accepting and trusting him and seeing his hand at work in all things. Um, understanding which of those, those, those two paths um, you need to take at different seasons of your life. And then last night, we talked about our navigational system, which is the Holy Spirit. The, the system is the Spirit, His voice, His guiding, and His leading in our lives. And, and, and hopefully you're, you're going to learn as you continue to walk in this, how to, to walk alongside of Him, how to, to keep in step with the Spirit. Remember, Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 5, so I say, walk by the Spirit. And then he says, let us live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. And so I want to talk in this last sec session about steps, okay? Steps to move us forward. Eugene Peterson, the guy who wrote the message version of the Bible, has written many, many books on, on life in Christ. And one of the things that he says about discipleship, about being a follower of Jesus, is, is basically it can be described this way. It is a long obedience in the same direction. And so I want to give you some steps this morning that will allow you, hopefully, to have a long obedience in the same direction as you walk in relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I want you to think of it this way, not what's going to be different in my life next Saturday, but, but I want you to think of it this way. I think they've already nailed down the date for Man Camp 2021, and I want you to think what's going to be different in my life at Man Camp 2021. Think kind of long term, and I think you'll be encouraged in the midst of all that. So Matthew chapter 11, 
Jesus has some really profound words for us there, kind of departing from the life of Peter here. And um, there's something really profound that Jesus uh, really unpacks to us, reveals to us, and it's worthy of our time here at the very end. So Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Okay, so this entire time, we've been talking about the side of life that's weary and burdensome. We've been talking about the weight of life. We've been talking about the crises, the disorientation, the wall, the struggle, all of these types of things. He says, when you're in that mode, come to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, now, one thing you need to understand about this, I referred to a little bit yesterday, that this, this idea of a yoke is, is this, in, in this ancient Jewish tradition, Jesus w- was, was seen by those who followed him, his disciples, as a rabbi. He was their rabbi. He was their spiritual guide, their spiritual leader. And every rabbi had a particular yoke. It was their understanding of connection to Yahweh, connection to God, and how you live in relationship. And in our terms, we could just say it this way. It was their particular interpretation and application of Scripture that resulted in a lifestyle. So you could even shorten that further and say, what Jesus is saying is, take my lifestyle upon you. Take, when, when you say yes to me, it's more than just saying yes to the idea that I died and rose again. It's more than just agreeing with this historical account of Jesus' death and resurrection. It's even more than an agreement with a set of beliefs, but it's a willingness to take on a new lifestyle. And, and here's how Jesus describes his lifestyle. My yoke, my lifestyle is easy and my burden is light. I can't remember the last time that I've talked to someone, followers of Jesus, and said, how's life going? And they're like, easy, light, right? That's usually not in the top two descriptors. It's usually not in the top five or ten descriptors. Maybe if they talk long enough, they'll eventually get to, but it's all going to be okay. Or it's all in God's hands. It's going to be all right. But, But how many people have you talked to recently? And ask him, how's life going? Easy, light, I'm carefree, just trusting the Lord, just rolling with it, right? But this is, of all the words that Jesus could have chosen to use here, he chooses to use these words, I think, for a reason. Because he's inviting us into this lifestyle. He knows life is hard. He knows life is heavy. He knows there are, we're going to hit the wall. He knows we're going to be in struggle. He knows we're going to experience crisis. And he's inviting us into this lifestyle that's altogether different. That's actually light and easy. I think if we look at people that we admire and and the way that they live their lives, and if you think of like athletes, for instance, or artists, people that are kind of up on stage or out in front of us, and they're performing at a level that's inspiring, that that moves us to, to think, man, if I could only do that, if I could only be that way, if I could only kind of replicate that, you know, we, we, we would, we're smart enough to know that like if we want to be LeBron James, we, we don't just need to shoot like him. We'd also need to practice like him. We'd also have to have a freakish genetic code. But, but even if you had close to that, like you know that there's practice involved to become LeBron James. There's diet, there's sleep, 
there's weights, there's shooting drills, all of those types of things. Golfers, right? You don't, you don't just look at Tiger Woods or whoever your guy is right now and, and say, man, if I only had that set of clubs and if I could only swing in that direction when I get out there, you, you don't just walk out on the course and like channel your inner Tiger Woods. You go to the driving range for a little bit and you practice it. If, if you're kind of in the artistic world, you don't just listen to these bands or, or look at these graphics and stuff and think, man, I'm just game time. I could deliver that. You understand you have to crack cultivate your craft, right? We all understand those types of things, but when it comes to our life with Jesus, what we'll often do is we'll look at Jesus's highest moments. We look at his death on the cross. We look at some of the huge statements he made, like turn the other cheek. You know, we, we, we look at the way he responded in great kindness and compassion to the marginalized, and we think, man, that, I, I want to live that way. Or we look at the way he stood strong against the religious. And we're like, man, if I could only articulate the truth of the gospel like he did. right? Like in those high moments, we, we want to kind of replicate that. And we sometimes think that's the lifestyle that Jesus is talking about. But it's so much more than that. Because in order for Jesus to be who he was in those high moments, we have to look at the kind of life he lived in the quiet moments. We have to look at the way that he ordered his life and the times in between the big stories, and the times in between the big moments and the big teachings. And, and as we do that, we begin to discover a lifestyle that produces in us a heart and a way of being that's actually pretty easy, and it's actually pretty light. Dallas Willard calls it the secret of the easy yoke. And he says this, if we want the life that Jesus came to offer, we must embrace the lifestyle that Jesus came to reveal. When we look at the lifestyle that Jesus came to reveal, we do see a man who loved the marginalized. We see a man who stood up to the religious pricks of his day. Right? We, we see a man who, who had wise and profound things to say. But we also see a man who went away in secret to pray, who, who was a man of the word of God, uh, who, who was a man of, of, of Sabbath, of rest. Um, he, he was a man who understood solitude. He understood silence. Many of these, these spiritual practices that Jesus operated in, that we've kind of lost in our day, need to be recovered for us to have a long obedience in the same direction that produces a life that's light and easy. It's the secret of the easy yoke. When we begin to take on spiritual practices that we see in the life of Jesus, we're doing the practice. Like we're, we're doing the, the, the stuff in between that will allow us to be who we really want to be and who God wants us to be when it comes game time, right? When the kids roll out of bed and are clamoring for your attention, right? When there's crisis at work and you're the person they're looking to for the wisdom to move through, when, when there's issues in your community or in your home or when you're, when you're deeply offended by someone who hurts you, when you experience a deep loss, a deep hurt, a deep disappointment, right? It's in those moments that, that we're not just gonna rise to the occasion if we're not c cultivating the lifestyle of Jesus in the in-between. And so I wanna give us here a pretty practical way of developing what we're going to call is these spiritual practices, these things we see in the lifestyle of Jesus that cultivated us an intimacy with him, a life that replicates him so that we can, we can actually live lives and, and have this yoke that's light and easy. 
And, and for me, um, this, something that I kind of stumbled into right after I went through this whole season I've been sharing with y'all about just kind of my own self-awareness, my own brokenness, and going through some counseling, through some healing, and then restoring some things, and losing my father. And about a year after that, I stumbled into this concept that was really ha- helpful for me that through my grad school program. And, and, and it's really been, I would say, the thing that has allowed the, the kind of the depth of experience that I had in 2016 to continue continue to produce fruit even into 2020 because, because of this concept that I'm going to share with you. And it's called the rule of life, okay? The rule of life. There's a writer by the name of Ken Shigematsu who wrote a book on the rule of life. It's super simple. It's super easy. It's called God in My Everything. If you like reading, um, it's a great book to read, um, very practical. And here's how he defines the rule of life. He says, the rule of life is a rhythm of practices that allows us to live well and grow more like Jesus by experiencing God in all things. So it's a, it's a rhythm of practices. And this is an ancient idea that he's kind of updating and modernizing, but this is actually an old Benedictine idea from, I think, 457 AD, I think is when it was first, first really created by the Benedictine monks. And, and the idea here is this, this word rule, first of all, it's not about law. Um, it's, it's not about rights and wrongs. Um, it, it's really from this Latin word regula, okay? And regula really is it's the same type of word that we would use for trellis in a garden. And so the imagery here is really, really helpful as we think about this because sometimes we go after some spiritual practices and we kind of pick and choose and we kind of randomly assort and we go after something for this season, it's not working. We go after another season, it, uh, something that's not working. We try this, we try that, and then we just kind of give it up and go home and wait for the next man camp, right? But, but this rule of life, I think, will give us a framework to understand. If you think of a trellis, really, um, as, as followers of Jesus, he wants us to grow into maturity that we talked about on the very first night. He wants to say, say yes to the invitation to grow into maturity and then to produce fruit, just like a vine does. Many of us, though, if we don't have any kind of structure in place in our lives, we say yes to Jesus, we take root, we begin to grow because he's good and he will water and feed us, but we just kind of live like a soggy vine on the ground because we don't have a structure to grow into, right? If you plant a vine without a trellis, it just kind of becomes a soggy mess of leaves. And there's a lot of Christians out there that are just kind of a soggy mess of leaves, and they're not really producing a lot of fruit. What the rule does for us is it creates this framework as Jesus pours into our lives, as the Holy Spirit works in our lives, as we lean into him, the different things he's doing in our lives, it allows our lives to grow upward and outward and to begin to produce fruit. If you were to Google this, you would see a thousand different examples of what a rule of life could look like, how a rule of life can play out in our life. As I was learning this in grad school, it frustrated me because my teachers would not say exactly how to do a rule of life, but that's exactly the point. It's for you to find this flexible arrangement, set of practices that work for you in your personality, in your season of life, in the, the time that you have available, the relationships that you have access to, the way that you operate, the way that you grow, the way that you give, and arranging this in a way that you know works best for you. But I'm, I'm going to try to at least bring a little bit of clarity to it, more clarity than what I was given, to try to help you get some starting blocks for how to develop a rule of life. It is it's simply a structure through which we put these practices in place so that we can grow in Christ. 
four big areas of our lives that I want you to be thinking about spiritual practices and which ones you can put in your life. And I'm going to kind of buzz through these. Um, and I'm going to start actually at the top. Your, your reach is a part of your life that you need to think about. What are the practices that are involved in my, the, the, um, my, the, the call, I should say, on our lives to influence others? Every one of us has a call to influence others. I think at Stonebridge they say it's your deal, Right. Have you heard this language, Stonebridgers, right? And, and so it's this, this idea that, that all of us, if we've said yes to Jesus, are on mission with him. Our lives are meant to be an influence to others. What are the practices that are actually in place that are cultivating that in my life? What am I actually doing in my workplace? What am I doing in my neighborhood? What am I doing in my church? What am I doing with, with my gifts, my talents, as a way to give them away to the world around you? I would say there's three big practices that, that really influence our reach. And it's or not even practices. I would say things that you should think about and ask questions relating to. How am I using work? How am I, I using my work? What practices am I putting in place in my work in order to produce fruit? Service. How am I serving others in a way that's producing fruit? And then I, I use the word mission. How am I on mission to produce fruit in the world? Ask yourself those questions and see what practices could you put in place. And it could be, I'm going to start a little, you know, morning Bible study in my workplace. It could be, I'm going to make it a point to actually talk to a coworker. It may be as simple as that. You're the guy that goes to your desk and you grind all day long and no one knows who you are. And you may need to actually make it a practice to say, once a week, I'm going to talk to somebody and see what God can do with that conversation, right? It may be simple. It may be more explicit. But, but what's your reach? The next is restoration, okay? Practices related to our constant restoration because we live in a world that's always breaking us down, that's always taking our energy away, that, that's wearing on us in many, many ways because life is hard and life is real and people are hard and people are real and all of that. And so we need to constantly be restored. There's three big areas of your life where you can find some practices that, that will allow you to live in a place of sustained well-being. I would say there are these three areas, and there's so many more, but recreation. What, what kind of hobbies are you involved in that's actually engaging you, body, soul, and spirit, and gives you life and, and kind of replenishes you from all that you're giving away? Your health, how are you taking care of yourself? Because your body, it's the temple of God, and it's the vessel that you're using in this time and this place to be a light to the world, and you've got to take care of that in order so that you can be the brightest light you can possibly be to the world around you. I'm not a subscriber in that there's the spiritual and then there's the physical. I think everything's spiritual and, and we happen to live in a physical world right now and they all interact with each other and we got to take care of what we can feel, what we're living in, our heartbeat, those types of things. And then finances. Finances are a very real part of our lives and there's something that God wants us to infuse our faith into. These are all three areas that if they're not tended to in ways that we see in the life of Jesus, that they, they, will, they will hinder us from living the full, in the fullness of Jesus, right? If we, we fall deeply into debt, it will inhibit our ability to live in the fullness of Jesus. It really will. If we, if we don't take care of our bodies, it will inhibit our ability to live in the fullness of Jesus. If we don't take care of our souls and, and have some recreation and enjoy um, the life that God's given us and the people he's given us, it will inhibit our ability to live in the fullness of Jesus. And then we get into our relationships, 
Okay, practices related to our relationships. If you're in a season of your life where friends are plenty and time with friends are plenty, then bless you and you're in an awesome season, soak it up. But eventually you may drift into a season. Many men do. Right around the time that career picks up and kids pick up and responsibilities pick up and demands pick up, and they, after about five years of that, they look around and they realize there's no one in my life. Right, other than my wife and kids or other than maybe these few people that I interact with on a normal basis through work or whatever it may be. And you actually might have to put some practices in place to keep community in your life. And so I would say um, things like um, what, what are intentional efforts you're going to make to build community. And again, all of these can be inspired by looking at the life of Jesus, every single one of them. Confession, where, where am I living in an open and vulnerable life to people around me? And then ones I think that we forget very often, celebration and lament. Learning how to take great delight in the good things as they're connected with God's blessing on your life and how to allow yourself to have sorrow for the hard things as they're connected to God's work in your life. Celebration and lament are key, I believe, spiritual practices that we see in the life of Jesus and that when incorporated into our lives allow us to live emotionally, healthy lives that result in spiritually vibrant lives. Right? There's a lot I could say about all these things, and I'm just trying to move quickly and seed ideas into you so that you can go home, you can think about this, you can talk to your friends about this, and begin to develop this. So those are the three of the big areas. The one I really want to spend more time on is roots, right? The, the, the core practices of your life. The things that, that you would say, these are steadies in my life. These are always in my life. These are, these are the things that everything else is built on. I talked about this backwards, and I recognize that. But this is where the roots go deep. This is where you get established. This is where your foundation comes from. And here's the reality when it comes to all of this, but especially these core practices, is every one of you has a rule of life that you're living by that is producing a certain type of fruit. You have practices, you have rhythms, you have habits, you have things you're doing on a regular basis that are actually producing fruit. And you might say, well, these are spiritual practices and those are just habits, right? Those are lifestyle things, but, but I want to now incorporate some spiritual things. And I want to encourage you, see all of that together because everything is spiritual. We are spiritual beings who are currently having a brief physical experience. And God wants to cultivate us from the inside out. And so as we begin to have our life cultivated from the the spirit that comes out into the fruit of our lives. And so your Netflix habit is a spiritual practice and it is actually having an impact on your spirit and it's also having an impact on your soul and on your body, all right? I've been there before. How many of you have binged a Netflix series and gotten up off the couch and be like, man, I've never felt better. This is awesome, man. I'm like, that's great. I feel alive. My body feels great. My soul feels clean. And I feel so connected to Jesus, right? That is a spiritual practice, right? Like everything that we do, the way that we eat, the way that we spin, the way that we relate, the way, I mean, it's all spiritual. And, and, and when you begin with the roots, it can begin to then influence everything else, all these other things that I've just talked about. Three of the big spiritual practices related to our roots that I think every believer should have involved in their life. Prayer, Scripture, and Sabbath, or you could call it rest. Prayer, Scripture, and Sabbath. I think these are the things that we see most clearly and most obvious in the life of Jesus. He was a man of the Word. 
He knew the word. He, he was found at 12 years old in his father's house studying the word, at the temple studying the word. And he said to his parents, don't you know that I want to be where my father is, where, where his word is being spoken? Right? He, he was a man of prayer. We hear the stories. We, see, we, we read in all of the gospels about how he would pull away to be with the father. And then he was a man of Sabbath. He, he was a man of rest. He knew when to draw back and he knew when to engage. He knew when he needed to kind of pull away and take a breath, and he knew when he, he, he needed to dive in and engage people around him in the ministry around him. Prayer can look a lot of different ways, and I, I just want to kind of pull back the, the veil a little bit on this whole idea of prayer, because I know it's very intimidating for many of us. I, I don't know that I can become a man of prayer. I don't know that I can really do prayer the way this person does prayer, and I love the, their life. I'm inspired by their life, but I could actually never replicate their life, and I want to just give you freedom and encouragement to pray however you can pray. Just pray however you can pray and let that be enough. There are those people that get up early and they pace the room and they're crying out loud and they're quoting scripture and they're praying everything from China all the way to their living room and, and it's like inspiring and wonderful and that's beautiful and maybe you'll get there one day. And my, for me, the way my prayer life looks right now in this season of my life is, is just an hour that I can get before the kids wake up. And I wake up and I make my pour over coffee and I sit with it right by my fire. I usually light a candle and I just sit back and I relax and I breathe deep. And sometimes I talk to Jesus a little bit and sometimes I drift off a little bit. Sometimes I read scripture a little bit. I almost always write. And for me, though, it's just, prayer is communion with the Father, right? It's communion. It's just hanging out with them. It's just being with them. And the longer I've done this, especially over the last three years of really being on this path, the more I want it. And when I hear the little pitter-patter of those footsteps coming down the stairs, there's a lot of mornings, if I'm going to be honest, I'm like, dang it. Like I was, I was just getting there where I wanted to get. Prayer is really, it's going to be the beginning of our lives and our intimacy with Jesus and so much flows from that. Scripture, again, Scripture can feel intimidating. This book is huge and there, there's a lot that it has to say and not quite sure how to go there. And some people are studiers, some people are meditators, some people are memorizers, some people are pick it apart and try to understand every little word, and some people are like, give me the general idea and let me try to apply that to my life. Doesn't matter which one of those you are, just be one of those. Make this a part of your life. Jesus was all about the Word of God. And if we want our lives to be patterned upon him, this, we, we got to know this. Because this is how, in, in many cases, God speaks to us. This is how he talks. And many times he speaks in our hearts, but this is kind of the language that he uses. And the more we know this, the more we know him. I'm a big fan of, of not necessarily becoming a person who loves the word of God, but becomes a person who loves the author of the word of God. And as you love the author of the word of God, you'll, you'll begin to love his words as well. And you'll begin to want to understand his words as well. And then the last thing I want to say, and, and this may be a newer concept, I'm not going to get deep into teaching it, but is the idea of Sabbath, the idea of rest. I think this is something that our culture, and especially the men in our world, need probably more than almost anything else. And it incorporates so much of what I've said over the last couple days. Sabbath, I'm not going to get deeply theological on this, but we know it's in the Ten Commandments. But we also know that it existed in the first chapter of Genesis when God rested. And, and what that says to me, the way that I understand that, is Sabbath was meant to be a part of the rhythm of our design. 
It's meant to be a part of the rhythm of our design. I actually think that's why God put it into the Ten Commandments. It's not that it gained importance because it was put in the Ten Commandments. It's that God was highlighting it. Now that we're New Testament people and we don't live from the Ten Commandments, we live from the always and ever-growing rest that Jesus gave us and offers to us through his death and his resurrection and his indwelling spirit. We live in that rest all the time, and that can be light and easy as we're constantly trusting him him and believing in him and being with him. But I also think that outward practice of some time throughout your week where you can pull back and you can engage passive spirituality and you can just enjoy what we say in our home is rest, worship, and delight. Because you see this through the Old Testament as it talks about Sabbath. Those are really the characteristics that speak of Sabbath. And I think as followers of Jesus, but even as human beings, we were actually designed, our internal clock was designed to operate on a weekly time of rest. And if it can be 24 hours, all the better. I think as you begin to lean into this, you might discover some life that you never even knew was on tap for you when you begin to give yourself permission to receive God's gift of a rhythmic Sabbath. The way Sabbath looks in our home is that on Friday, my wife and I are are, are off work. She works as well. And so Friday's our day off work together. We take our kids to school. We have a little breakfast date. It's always wonderful. And then we kind of go our separate directions and we do all the things we need to do to kind of prepare ourselves for our Sabbath that will start on Friday afternoon and go through Saturday afternoon. So we might clean the house a little bit. We might run some errands, might do some last minute things, get the oil changed, whatever little chorey type day off type things that we would typically do on a Saturday. We try to cram that into our Friday. I'm thankful that we have the ability to do that because Sunday is a work day for me. And so we scramble all day on Friday. We're usually pretty exhausted by the time we pick the kids up from school but we get the kids from school and we bring them home and we give them a list of chores and they clean up some things and they get the house ready and they clean their rooms and we try to just create an environment that's about as stress-free as it can be if we have dirty clothes sitting anywhere we just put them out of sight for a little while if there's dishes in the sink we load the dishwasher if if there's stuff that's just kind of messy and we know is going to bother us for the next 24 hours we try to clean it up and and deal with it as best we can and then we've started this new practice where on friday night We do this rotation where each of our kids gets to decide what we have for dinner that night because that is our celebration dinner where we kick off Sabbath together as a family. I'm really trying my best to to teach my kids these spiritual practices without this kind of religious coding over them. And and so I I just tell them, hey, you, you get to choose. Your night is is Friday night. You get to choose what you want. It's got to be something that we can pick up and that we can eat on paper plates and that we don't have to do any dishes afterwards. And so we've had everything from Buffalo Wild Wings to Pad Thai. Last night, Shireen ordered McDonald's because our youngest is a McDonald's freak. And so had McDonald's delivered to our house. She probably paid more for the delivery fee than she did for the actual food. And, and, And we light these candles and we eat this food, and we just kind of laugh and joke, and whether it's like middle school humor from my daughter, or it's like fourth grade potty humor from my fourth grade boy, or whether it's just goofy things my little seven-year-old says, we just kind of enjoy each other. And then we get up from dinner, and we make popcorn and M&Ms, and we watch a movie together, and, and we just are teaching our kids this is rest, it's delight, but it's also worship. Because we're delighting in the life that God has given for us. And we talk about that during our dinner. 
We try to bring it up at different times. Throughout Saturday, there's, there's stuff to be done on Saturday. We have basketball games and soccer games, and sometimes the yard has to be mowed. And so we take our kids to their games, but we do it in a way that's just fun and carefree. And maybe we get there a little bit late, or maybe we leave a little bit early and get some Starbucks or some Dunkin' Donuts on the way. And we just all enjoy each other, and we try to keep this tone throughout the day that we don't have to do anything we don't want to do. We don't have to do, fulfill any demands today. We just get to be with one another, delight in one another, worship Jesus, rest. And when it's pretty outside, I love to actually mow my grass if the weather's nice. If it's too hot, I don't. But, but a lot of times I really enjoy mowing my grass. And so I put on my noise-canceling headphones and I turn a podcast on and I disappear by mowing for the next couple hours. I, there was one particular time when I first got these headphones that, that my daughter, I, I didn't realize it, but I'd been mowing for like 15 minutes. I turned my daughter's red in the face calling my name, trying to get my attention, but I was just lost in my own little world. It was beautiful. And uh, my wife just told me last night, why didn't you leave your headphones? This has been such a hard two days as she's been home alone with the kids, right? And it just kind of disappear. I, I, I'll sit on the porch and I'll drink a really cold if in the summertime beer and just look at my yard and just enjoy green grass and trees with leaves on them because I know it won't last long in Omaha and I just take it in. I think my kids would probably tell you that since we've started doing this about three years ago it may be one of the primary things that's changed who I am because, because on, a, on a weekly basis that the stress the weight, the demands, the expectation. For these 24-hour period, we just breathe deep and we trust God. You've got it. It's passive spirituality, if you want to call it that. It's just this rest. All right, Lord, it's all in your hands. I don't have to worry about what I have to do Sunday morning. I don't have to pay any bills. I don't have to do any chores. I don't have to fix the house. I don't have to respond to emails. I just get to breathe. I just get to delight. And for me, the counseling that I went through was helpful. The understanding of God's heart for me that I went through was helpful. The really getting deeper into the word and deeper into prayer was helpful. But it's these weekly moments that I've gotten to just kind of decompress that I know my wife for sure would say it's changed us more than anything else. And here's the deal. We, we live in a reality. Your life's different than mine. Your rhythms are going to be different than mine. Your needs are going to be different than mine. The way that you get filled up, the way that you get encouraged, the way that you get spoken to, the way that you get refreshed, the way that you arrange your life around the practices of Jesus are going to look different than mine. But I think this is, is, is the big picture I want you to get as we kind of wrap things up here is life is hard. The struggle is real. But the struggle is the point. It's not meant to be avoided. It's not meant to be ignored. It's meant to be walked through, led by the Spirit, so that you can become a man who lives from the depth of your spirit, deeply connected to Jesus, delighting in his love for you, convinced of his heart for you, and able to give your life away to those around you. If you can commit, if you can figure out how to develop a trellis, a rule of life that infuses the practices of Jesus 
I, I'm willing to bet that a year from now, if I were to ask you how you were doing, easy and light would at least make the top 10, if not the top five. And that is Jesus's ultimate desire for how we live as men of God. I want you to close your eyes. Breathe deep for a minute. There's a passage I want to read to you. I'm, I'm going to need to look up and just kind of sit before the Lord. You don't even need to say anything. Jesus' words from Matthew 11 in the message translation. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Then come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. And work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. God, I ask that those words would become our reality Holy Spirit, would you lead us into a people who can walk a long obedience in the same direction so that we could attain a life that's light and free, both in this life and in the one to come. I thank you for these men. I speak blessing over their lives, over their homes, over their families, over their kids, over their parents. I speak blessing over their careers, over their dreams, over their aspirations, over their desires, over their longings. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that your fruit would be produced in their life in the name of Jesus, and that this time next year, they'd look different, they'd act different, they'd walk different, they'd live different, and most importantly, God, would they love differently. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.